We are in Exodus, uh, chapter 16. I just want to make the point that I think we're moving faster in Exodus than we ever did in Genesis. I'm just going to say it. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. Verses 1 through 7. We'd finished, uh, we finished up chapter 15 last week. Just, just by way of introduction, what happened last week? Um, well, what happened in last chapter? The bitter water. God led them in three days into the wilderness. They, they arrived at some bitter water and they complained. Then what happened? They threw a magical tree. Okay, they did Accio tree, and it came and fell in the water, and that was what the deal was. All right, so that was cool. God is showing us a precursor to Harry Potter. And there's a, did you just quote the book of Maccabees? The, no, it was not Maccabees. Okay. It was the, it was the, the, book, of, the book of McGonagall. Anyway, um, what, what, what happened other than, this, uh, than the, than the uh, apocryphal version of the story? How, how did it actually happen? Uh, then God led them to an oasis with 70 palm trees. Okay. So they had plenty of food, plenty of water. After the miracle of turning the bitter water sweet, there was a, um, he, he then took them to a, a, an oasis, right? So they're in, their, uh, they're in an oasis, but they can't stay there. They're headed somewhere. Where are they headed? The promised Israel. land. Yes, Israel. By way of, by, where are we going to stop first? Do you know, you know the story. Where are, they, where are they headed right now? Well, not, well, there's a place they're going to meet a certain person who sits on top of a mountain in dark clouds. Who would that be? They're going to Mount Sinai. This is where they're headed. They're on the way to Sinai to meet with God, but they stop. This is very interesting. They stop in sin on the way. So let's look at chapter 16, uh, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between. Did you get how I did that? Okay, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, "Would that we had died." By the hand of the Lord and the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us. All right, they're continuing along the Red Sea coast. I looked at a map, had to check this out because I'm geographically illiterate, so I had to look this stuff up. Uh, continue, they're continuing along the south, 
along the Red Sea coast until they, they're going to move in the middle. They're going to jet into the middle of the, of the peninsula there to Sinai. Okay? Um, and this was a common route at the time. It was kind of a mining route for the Egyptian expeditions that they would do. They'd go in this place. They claimed, the Egyptians claimed this area. Um, kind of a TBN thing. Um, and they would have been familiar, the, the, the Hebrews would have been familiar with this route. So they enter a place called the wilderness of sin. Now doesn't that sound like John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress to you? Know? And this, this is kind of a thing. But that's what it's called. It's called the wilderness of sin. And, and they live up to it. <laughs> so. Was it called that before or was it called that because they then wandered around? I think it was probably called that maybe before. Okay. Because like, sin is also a... talked about like, the, the stream or the land of Mara or whatever, and then it was like, oh, this is called Mara right. because of what happened. Right, right. I think this was, this was probably its name before they got there. Yeah, it's actually seen in the, in the Hebrew. It's, seen. Which is obviously Hebrew, not English. So. Okay. Right, right. So what's it I prefer mean? sin, though, because it, <laughs> it, it could be seen. It's just the name. Just, so they just translated it literally. Right. It, it works well into this passage. So. In the providence of God, we have the wilderness of sin. All right, so what happens? First, verse 2. Uh, who is this complaint against? And let's compare this to the one we just read about, chapter 15, 22 through 26. Who is the complaint against here, and who is the complaint against and the one with the bitter water. This is Moses and Aaron, and the other one was just Moses. So they're widening their complaint circle. All right. They're naming and claiming more. That's right. They're they're yes. <laughs> okay. Who is doing the complaining as opposed to last time? The whole congregation. Is everybody? The whole congregation, as opposed to last time, it was who? The people. This makes a point of saying the whole congregation. There's kind of a feel, and the first one is it was a select few, and then nobody really stopped them. Right? Here, it's becoming more widespread. More, um, well, it affects everybody here. Notice how the, the, the incidents progress here. In Mara, when did they complain? What, what, what happened? What, what's the description of the complaint at, at Mara? Where are we entering? Okay, but what, what was the verse they brought before that? They already tried to drink it. Well, they, there's, there's something that happened, and then they complained, right? They found no water. They found no water, then they complained. What's the progression here? They complain, it's like shoot first, aim later. They, they don't know what, they immediately start complaining, and it doesn't even describe what the need is yet. Unbelief and sedition here are becoming habitual. This is the way that we work. They did it at the Red Sea. They did it when Moses first arrived on the scene. They did it um, at Mara, and, and now they're doing it here. What's the... Uh, so they're upset about Moses and Aaron's leadership. Is that is that the real target of their complaint? It's Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. Who is the target? Do Moses and Aaron speak to that? 
against God, against Yahweh. They doubt God's care for them and they attack his ability, his power. And, and the result of that, again, is you want to attack those who are immediately in front of you. But ultimately, they're attacking God here. Um, it would have been better if we had died by Yahweh's hand. What is that all about? The drama. Oh, Claudius. I am verklempt. It would have been better that we died by Yahweh's hand. This is the hand that destroyed the Egyptians on their behalf. And they say that wasn't good enough. It would have been better if you killed us too. I think it's ironic because he can still do that if he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> the cloud could start the lightning thing, you know. <laughs> or you could just let him starve. <laughs> There is that. Or he could just stop sustaining them and they would just vanish. <laughs> sure, there's the whole it's my air thing that you're breathing. That would be pretty interesting. Notice how they retool, they reinvent history. This is just a two was it two and a half or a month and a half, two two and a half months in? A month and a half into it. And they're reinventing history. Do you remember the meat pots we sat by? Uh, with the whip at your back while you're trying to gather straw to do the thing. You know. Oh, the, the, the bread that we ate to the full. What is it? Threw your babies in the river? They don't remember any of that. They don't care about any of that. What's driving this? What's the core here? Unbelief. Unbelief in what way? About, about what? That God's going to take care of. As opposed to whom? Isn't that what all this is about? Who's the better master? Right? And, and the focal point of all of this is two things. What are they? What do they want here? This is even a need. What do they want? They've got a whole herd of... I mean, goats. I mean, you make burritos with that. I mean, what are they wanting here? <laughs> what do they what do they say? What do we want? They're complaining about meat and pots and bread. They want meat and bread. They got meat. They got cheese. They want bread also. It's hard to plant when you're on the run. You get wheat, right, I guess. So Egypt was better. And this is the heart of the issue. Service to Pharaoh, service to God. The groaning this is the irony thing. They're groaning under the service of Yahweh like they were groaning under the service of Pharaoh. All right. What did Pharaoh do when the Hebrews complained? Made him work harder. Made him work harder, took the straw away. Somebody made a crack sound. And Oh, is that what that was? A whip? Okay. I don't remember the mass extermination part of it, but maybe we were getting there. It was harder. He was a taskmaster. It was... He punished them. Right? Okay. Um, what does God do here? He gives them what they're asking for. He rains bread down. 
Why does he do? Why does he do that? Why would he do that? I mean, and here we're just we just read the part where he promises to do it. Next week we'll talk about the significance of it. But right now we're just looking at the character of God. What? Why does he do that? These are his people. He's going to take care of them. Okay. So they know that he's God who delivered them. Where had he said that before? before when he said, "So that they will know that I am the Lord." Who's? What case was he? What case was he making? To whom was he making that case? Just a few chapters ago. When he and now he's making it to his own people. Could it not have been that all along he was making the case against both? I think that's a very good point. He's raining bread from heaven. And this is another miraculous sign, like the Accio tree. You know, it's the same thing. He's doing he's causing this to happen. And it's a concession to people who live by sight rather than trust him by faith, right? This is a concession he's making to them. Does he place any requirements on this gift? What's the requirement? Don't hoard it. Don't hoard it. There's an obedience um, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not at the end of verse 4. <clears throat> so obedience. In what way? They don't do it. And then he just gives them more law when they get Sinai. What does that tell this you? This the initial test. They're going to do it. And they don't. So we're going to give more laws. So, so let's, walk, let's walk through. <laughs> let's walk through what the, what the requirements are, just so we're all on the same page here. What are the requirements that he gives them? To trust and obey. Because there's no other way. <laughs> To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. He's always a good answer. It's sensible. They're only supposed to gather a single day's worth of bread. Why? Except on. Except on. But we'll get to that in a second. Hang on to that. Why? Single day. Because if you're, you I'll come to you next. more than one day's worth of bread, they're not trusting the Lord is going to provide for them every day. Well, that's kind of weird. Don't you think that's weird? Why wouldn't you just say, here's a, here's a month's worth, you know. Of course, our bread probably lasts about a week at our house, but... I think um, a day. They're also on the moose. You want to turn around a month worth of bread? Yeah. Well, a bunch of gold silver. They can buy stuff from the same. Let's not forget that it was three days where they started complaining before. Right. So he's he's teaching them. Hey, every day you need to to trust. You need to relearn this thing to make it a habit. Now, I wonder if the Lifeway store in the middle of the, he- of the Hebrews camp started carrying those little breads with the daily Bible verses on them. <laughs> Sorry. Segway. Um, every day they got to trust Him. Is He going to rain it down this morning? Right? There's a, there's a lesson there. He's testing them. He's teaching them. Trust me. I mean, we're three days in, you're not trusting me. We're a month and a half in, you're not trusting me. Now you've got to trust me every day for bread from heaven. And uh, December, Deuteronomy 8.16 says, it it makes a comment. Hang on to that. We'll talk about that later. Um, Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. This very real, stark dependence upon God does them good in the end? 
Does it do us good? To depend upon him? Can we? Yes, okay, obviously it's, yeah. How? Yeah. Doesn't that just cause you a bunch of anxiety? And isn't that bad? Well, bad feelings? The, I think the bigger, the bigger picture is that God is sustaining them out in the wilderness where there's little food. Okay. Sustaining them as a people. Right. So that their race can survive, which brings Christ, which does benefit them and us and everybody. Okay, so you're looking at the big redemptive history picture. Really big picture. So there's a domino here that you're talking about. Right now at this point in their lives, how does that benefit them in their lifespan? You're right. Ultimately, that's the big picture. Jesus is coming through this line. And he's also going to be talking about people about certain bread from heaven. And we'll get to that next week. But what what is it that is a... That, that this dependence, how does that good for them? Why not just... To put their dependence on something that is true God instead of the creation, which is itself dependent on God. And people end up failing them with their hope there. Okay. Yeah. I think the other thing is this is kind of a... Um, there's going to be a bigger test, like walking around a city blowing trumpets for seven days. Yeah, that's just weird. That's just weird. Mm-hmm. But if you make the little, if, if you learn in the little things to trust in God, when he asks you to do something bigger, you have that trust already built. There's something in red about that, isn't there? <laughs> I, the really inspired words that are in red? Um, that's a joke. Um, I got, we have guests, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> Well, if you're faithful in little things, it'll make you faithful over much, is what I'm thinking. But yes, sure, there's that as well. So God is going to test them. And Deuteronomy, Moses' last sermon to them, or or a series of sermons to them, is... Or maybe it was just one. Was it just one, Deuteronomy? I think it was just one sermon. We'll get there eventually, if I survive. Not in December. Not in December. We've got to get to Leviticus and Numbers. No. We'll be, let me please this way. We'll be in Deuteronomy in the December of my life. That's what, okay. God is going to test them to refine their characters into obedience. That's the point of this. Trust Him daily, right? Trust Him daily. And He's teaching them to depend on Him. And the issue is will they walk in His law or not? Literally, are you going in my Torah? Which is why we get the first five books called the Torah. Are you going in my Torah? But it changes for the sixth day. What what does it change on the sixth day? They double, so they don't have to on the seventh day. They don't have to on the on the seventh day. That and and why is that? Sabbath. Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. Why, why it's Sabbath day? You say that. Have we had any Sabbath laws here? No. Have we received any indication that that's the way we should treat the seventh day of the week? He's preparing them. Oh my goodness. How so? He rested. He rested on the seventh day. You're telling me that God's activity in creation mandates, puts an obligation on us to operate our lives in a way consistent with his character? We are made in his image. Well, that's just crazy. I, I'm not told that I'm supposed to rest on the seventh day. And here all of a sudden I'm supposed to do this thing where I gather double and, and you're telling me it goes all the way back to creation? I had a very interesting conversation with my high school students yesterday. 
or Friday, not yesterday, about um, about we're having some struggles on what what God does with the innocent native, you know, the guy who never hears about the gospel, and what happens there, and 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 my point is there ain't no such thing, because Romans one says there's they're without excuse, right? And they're like, but no, God, and they're going, good, no, God is. You know, loving and. Oh, uh, I was gonna say, I was gonna ask what they say about love. Yeah, well, and and I said, can you point me to the verse that says God is love, love, love? Is, holy, holy, holy! I see that. Where's love, love, love? And so, you know, those typical things. And so I asked them about a guy named. I asked them, love, 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 Beatles. Beatles weren't God though, although some people. Anyway, um, <laughs> I will. I, even they will concede that Ringo Starr was not. But anyway, um, he was. He was just happy to be there. Um, so you have uh, you have this thing of 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 this the mercy of God, the love of God. He wouldn't let this person die and never have a chance. He didn't have a chance, no chance. And and I said, okay, let's think about a guy named Bob. Bob's a nice guy. Have we talked about this before about Bob? No. Okay. Bob's a nice guy. What about Bob? Baby steps to the door. Um, what about Bob? Bob is a nice guy. He um, he has um, let's see. He's got a, he's got a really good job. He's he's a good employee. Uh, faithful doesn't take money from the from the um, from 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 you know bezel from his employer. Um, he 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 goes to church. He goes to the right church. He goes to Southern Baptist Church. Um, he he doesn't let the plate go by. That he doesn't put something in. Right. I mean, he, and it's substantial. It's not like here's my nickel. He puts in good. You know. Uh, he, he has a, let's see, he's got a, a nice house, uh, 2.5 kids because i got a halfling, and, and he's got a, a really nice car and, and the hot wife. He's got the whole American dream thing going on, right? He's got, um, he, he serves on the weekend. He goes to Salvation Army stuff, you know, gives to Goodwill, good stuff, not the rusty bikes, but the really, you know, he, he, gives, he gives good stuff. I mean, he, he, is Bob good? No. Well, Bob's got one little thing. Just one little thing that he he kind of keeps it to himself, doesn't want to publicize it very well. And I asked them, what do you think that one thing is? Well, <laughs> he, he has a small part-time job at a women's dress shop. No. He, um, he, he uh, small, small, small thing. No, let's say, let's say Bob likes to blow up federal buildings with nurseries at the bottom. Or, or Bob likes to uh, whittle his way into old women's houses and steal all their Social Security money. And one of the kids said, "One of the kids said, oh, what if he's a child molester?'" I said, "You said it. I didn't. So we'll go with your analogy. Um, is he a good guy? No. Why? It's just one thing. There's all this good stuff. He's a good guy. It's one thing. And they're outraged, you know, as I'm sure you are. Why would you bring this up in the middle of Sunday school? It's being taped. They're outraged. And." And I said, okay, I feel your rage, and you're right to be outraged. He's not a good guy. That sin covers everything he does. And so I asked him, what is it that you're given is the greatest moral commandment in the Bible? What's the greatest one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second was like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Do we feel the outrage violating that law? Because I'm doing it right now, and you are too, by the way. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. All means all there, Calvinist. All means all there. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do we feel the weight of that? And that whole thing is rooted in the character of God, right? Who He is. Because He who said, don't commit adultery, also said, do not murder, it says in James. It's based on who He is. And so we see here an indication with the Sabbath, this is based upon the character of God, what He's done. And it puts obligation on them now. We haven't even gotten to Mount Sinai yet. And already there's this, I've done this, you're created in my image, this is the requirement that I have for you in this little thing with, you know, the bread of angels, Deuteronomy call it later. What's the distinction here? The character of God that we're shown here that puts an obligation on them, is it a taskmaster like Pharaoh? He's calling for their rest, right? Like he rested. The Sabbath law is recounted again in, in Deuteronomy 5.15 uh, 5, as, as stressing the purpose of it as remembering the deliverance from slavery. Did we get that? Do we get that we are to rest in Christ as a remembrance of our deliverance from slavery to not loving the Lord our God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength? And what He's done for us on the cross to pay for that, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died because we can't obey the law? Do we, do we rest in that? Or do we sit there, I'm going to be better this time, God. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'll try harder. Just forgive me this one last time. Now, there's striving that goes on, right? I mean, we, we do work because He's working in us. But do we work to be approved by Him? Because we're going to get as good as Jesus is this time? I know we know the answer to that. I know we could say the, you know, the, for our sakes, he, he who knew no sin became sin that we might be the righteous. And we, we know the formula for salvation. How do we live? How do we operate? You're talking about the functional atheists, you know, that don't believe in God. Do we operate like functional legalists sometimes? I mean, when we repent, do we go to the cross or do we, we try to steel ourselves toward being right, put on the facade, wear our purity rings, whatever we're going to do? I worry about grace sometimes, and do we get it? I don't, I mean, I don't get it all the time either. I mean, but do I rest in what Christ has done, I guess is the thing. And he's putting that to them. Now, early on, they're a month and a half in, and he's putting that on them now. I'm different. Jesus would say it this way, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So why do we yoke ourselves <laughs> with harder requirements or with, with something that we can't accomplish? Yeah? No, I just think they're whiny butts. <laughs> Yeah, they're testing him. They're not. They don't. They're testing him, but not. Not. I don't think. I don't think that's why they're doing it. I think that they are, uh, and 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 we'll see that later on. He has some responses to Moses about 
their idolatry <clears throat> that that would make me a little nervous if I were in their camp. Um, but here we see that the nature of God is one of loving His people, giving them rest in the midst of something He's doing for them already. He's providing the bread. Not only am I going to give you the bread every day, but I'm going to say, hey, rest on the seventh day. You don't have to gather it for yourself. I'm giving it to you. Right? And it's based upon who He is, His character. And so they're promised in verses 6 and 7, they're promised to receive two signs. Uh, in the evening you'll know that the, He's the Lord. In, in the morning you'll see His glory. The idea there is the meat. We'll see later on the meat in the evening when he sends quail. And the bread in the morning will be manna. Anytime Nathaniel asks me, you know, I'll be making dinner or whatever, he says, what is it? I'll say to him, manna. Because manna means, you know, what is it? So I'll just, he, he doesn't like that. <laughs> Some indication they're going to see the glory of God in the cloud. Um, but then notice the discernment of the hearts of the people by Moses. He recognizes what we've recognized, that their fight is with Yahweh. And by attacking Moses and Aaron, they're really trying to mask their unbelief, right? Their unfaithfulness to Yahweh. They're, they're masking that in their attacks to, to Moses and Aaron. All right. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this. And he humbled you... And let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Didn't that sound familiar? Was there one on our behalf who understood that perfectly and lived it for us? The rapid succession of these grumblings um, kind of uh, shows the tendency of our hearts as well, doesn't it? Where we get freaked out by our circumstances that we see and don't trust God and what He's doing in us. Um, are we not prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. So when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we grow anxious and we look back. We rewrite history. We're full of regret, doubt, wishing things had turned out differently. Are we not like the Hebrews here, lashing out against God? And it's often masked toward other people when we do it. And in our own unbelief and unfaithfulness. Do we forget that he's Lord of heaven and earth? Is he not gracious to us to provide for us even when we are anxious. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Those are two very basic things, but is not life more than the other things we worry about a lot. So life more than <clears throat> who's in the White House. It's not life more than the, um, well, the things that we long for. Um, he goes on to say in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Isn't that what he's teaching them through this daily giving of manna? Worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Right? Philippians 4, 6, Paul expounds on it. He says, don't be anxious about anything. That's the HCSB. Don't be anxious about anything. What you're worrying for? Sorry. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... That's interesting that he includes with thanksgiving, isn't it? Given what we know in Romans 1. That they were denied that God exists and were not thankful. Let your requests be made known to God. And then 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. It's not God being just kind of mean big meanie God in the sky. It, it says again and again, because He cares for you, right? That He puts us in situations where where's the food? Where's the clothes? Where's the water? Where's the decent government? He cares for us. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him? Um, He may not provide you what you want, but His provision is more abundant than what we could plan for anyway. Do we trust Him? And I think uh, we'll see as we go through the rest of chapter 16 and the rest of Exodus, and Lord willing, Deuteronomy in my December years, we'll see that we can. Yes? still stuck on the rest on the seventh day thing and I the way that my brain works is I try to come up I guess with oh what's the magic ratio of six and one you know six of seven and I was just I've been thinking like um, there's a lot of people that and I've done this in my life during seasons where it's grace seven days a week and it's resting seven days a week and there's no fighting of sin there's no um battling against that. It's just, oh, well, the grace of God covers everything. Mm-hmm. And then there's been other seasons where it's um, work for seven days a week, mm-hmm. and there's no grace, there's no rest, and it's just labor and plowing all the time. <clears throat> and um, I think the balance there is is healthy, mm-hmm. is that seventh day of rest, that finding rest in Christ, that what we can't accomplish, which is actually nothing, mm-hmm. That one day of rest gives us energy for the other six days. And it's that mental reminder of, oh, there is rest. Mm-hmm. There is relief. There is a way out. And, and, balance. And, and, I, and I see, on a physical level, I, I think you're right. I mean, there was some... <clears throat> and I, I haven't really researched this, but I've heard that this happened. That um, the, the communists in Russia tried to tinker with the workday to be like a 10-day work day. You familiar with that, Jacob? Because you know everything. I always look to Jacob. There's a 10-day work day, and they found that people were like, just could not do it. I mean, they were crashing. Vodka production was up. Um, it was just a, a big a big thing that it was not working. So the seven, the six-day work week, seventh-day rest, is kind of how we're built. Just let me know. Uh, we're, I'm about to wrap up in just a second. Okay, thank you.
Um, we have a, we have an announcement to be made here in a second. But yes, that that on a physical level, I think you're right. But the Sabbath rest idea is one that should permeate all of life. I mean, Christ just didn't redeem one day. He redeems the whole person for all time. And so we rest in Him for all time. Um, in terms of Philippians, we work fearfully because He is working in us. And I think imparting, importing other scriptures, He's already worked for us. And there's the, it's finished. It's not finished just on one day. But those, that six and one is kind of a picture of that. But, but the rest that we have in, in Christ is a full rest. Yeah, I guess I wasn't saying there's a magical ratio of six no, to one I know you to rest. I'm just saying it's a balance, and we're supposed to do both. Yes. We're no, supposed to rest in Christ, and we're supposed to labor against our Sure, people. sure. No, I, I understood. Yeah. I understood what you meant. I just wanted to, to kind of drive that point home. All right, any, any, anyone else? Any other comments? All right. Can, can I pray real quick, and then we'll... <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for the rest that you have so graciously given us in Jesus. And we confess that we don't live there. That we try to take on um, the, the, the burden of um, of being uh, righteous enough for your approval without realizing, without resting in the foreign righteousness that you've given us in Christ, that, that you have in Him finished the work. One of two things happen. Either we keep working, thinking that we could be good enough, or we just give up and stop working altogether. And you've called us to be holy as you are holy, but you've given us the holiness of Jesus. And we want hearts, and you've given us hearts that strive toward looking like him, knowing that it will be ultimately your final work in us that makes real what you've so far declared. And I'm, by mean, I mean by real, where we will be made like him, for we will see him as he is, as First John says. We long for that day, but we also long for hearts that rest thankfully in what you've already done for us in Jesus. We don't want to be surrounded by circumstances um, and, and forget that you are good and your mercy endures forever, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, that you're not a taskmaster like Pharaoh, but that you are good to us. So we thank you for that reminder this morning um, in this story of the, uh, the meat and the bread and the grumbling of Israel. God, we don't want to murmur and complain against you un- in unthankfulness, but we want, to, we want to know that we live by every word of yours daily, trusting you to provide the things that our bodies need knowing that you've already accomplished what our, what our redemption needs. We thank you for that in Christ. Amen.